Halper Show. I'm your host, Katie Halper. So excited to be talking in the studio. Not my own studio. I'm talking in someone else's studio. The studio of my uh, guest. And this man is a very funny guy. He is a very politically engaged and smart guy. He talks about himself as not being smart a lot, but that's just a lie. Put your hands together, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> who I can't hear right now, for Jimmy Dore. Hey, hey! Uh, Jimmy! The host of The Jimmy Dore Show, and you can find him on YouTube and on Patreon, and also on the Pacifica Networks. That's right. On the radio. Heard nationwide. My show is on the radio nationwide every nationwide. week. On Pacifica, it's heard in WBAI in New York, KPFK Los Angeles, and everywhere in between. He's big time. He's big time on Pacifica. Thank Some you. Some of us just have one city... Uh, setups like myself, <laughs> just WBAI, Katie Halper Show, just WBAI in New York. But, you know, a girl can dream. Girl and, can uh, dream. More we're, Pacifica stations. We're yeah. excited over here at the U- Jimmy Dore YouTube show because we just cracked 300,000 subscribers. So wow. that's nice. Ha- so I wanted to ask you, Jimmy, because you and I always talk about politics on our shows, but I kind of wanted to find out about the personal, where the personal meets the political. <laughs> And not even in like what made you do that, what did your father do to you or your mother do to you that uh-huh. made you get into politics. But I feel like something happened with the during the primary where there was this kind of uh, reckoning or the the Red Sea of politics or the Blue Sea, if we're on the ah, left. I like it. Uh, was parted. Right. Yeah. And there was this real kind of division that was always under the surface, but didn't seem as relevant as it now is. And I think it. It kind of um, was split open or, or bubbled up to the surface and exploded. I'm not good at my geology and uh, <laughs> uh, metaphors, but basically there is a some kind of rupture. People were a lot of people who I assumed were as left as I was, but, but but like me, were just working within the system. I thought that they once someone like Sanders came out who was politically viable, they'd all they'd get excited, but. A lot of these people didn't. I know. Because it's shocking, right? Yeah. And so, shocking. Yeah. So what was it like? Do you remember, by the way, I can't remember the moment I stopped being like, I just remember bec- being really pro Sanders and, and seeing a lot of the world through the Sanders Clinton lens. But I can't remember the moment that I got excited about Sanders. Do you remember it the for moment you? I got excited about Sanders? Yeah. I know the moment I got really excited about Sanders and when he said, Lloyd Blankfein. As referred to me as a dangerous man. And he's right. I am dangerous. I'm dangerous for Wall Street at the problem. I was like, yeah. yeah, I just came to my feet and I screamed. Yeah. And he is right. I am dangerous. Yes! Yeah! I literally Daniel jumped Daniel. up. Really? Literally jumped. We were, I was on air uh, covering it for the Young Turks. And when he said that, we all went nuts. That's when I met you for the first time. I came on via Skype. Katie Halper is on WBAI. She's in New York and a super solid progressive and a friend of the show. Katie, welcome to the Young Turks. Great to be back. Given um, what appears to be a very strong win for Hillary Clinton tonight, what do you do in the general election if Hillary Clinton's a candidate? In New York State, I don't. I will vote for Jill Stein, or I'll write in Bernie Sanders. And that was when people were like, "You're like the female Jimmy Dore." Ha! Remember that? Yeah, and you, I do remember you asked that. Me, when you say if you were in a swing state, you would vote for Hillary Clinton. And what do you say to the people who say, um, "Well, if if the neoliberals can count on progressive votes at the general election, what is uh, the pressure that's going to make them switch? What is what is going to make them stop being neoliberal?" Oh, those are good questions. The idea that voting for Hillary 
would have made things better. It would have made things a little less worse for a little while, but things would have been way worse in the long run yeah. because there would be no chance, no chance for Democrats to take over the House or the Senate like they're going to. There'd be no chance for them to ruin again the presidency in 2020. Mm -hmm. No chance. So it would have been an even bigger wipeout if there could possibly be. Right. And the problem is that the Democrats are going along with the war machine. The Democrats voted for an extra $80 billion a year to the war machine. But those same Democrats told me Bernie was crazy when he right. wanted to give us free college. Right. That's the thing that is like I, I always felt before I used to feel like um, my politics were to the left of, of liberals. But I was OK functioning in the world of liberals because it was like, yeah, of course, the Dems are too similar to Republicans, but we're not at a point right now where there are real viable, realistic candidates who are challenging doing it any other way, right? Obama sucked on so many levels, but he was the best we could get. Then when Sanders came along, and I'm not, I don't think he's a, a perfect person. I don't think he's like a immortal or a god. No, he has he flaws. Just, yeah, he has flaws like every other human being, right? But something about seeing how this guy, that there was another way, you know, that that um, slogan, another world is possible. Another politician is possible. Another candidate is possible. I feel like that was was brought out by Sanders, you know, that there was this possibility and that he could catch on. And so that was really like what you were saying before. They're both corporate parties. They're both war parties. I was like, yeah, of course they are. But what are you going to do? And now it's like, no, we know what we can do. And so the fact that there are people who are saying, what are you going to do when there is this alternative who's viable, that to me like shifted everything. And it was no longer kind of out of necessity that we were supporting this two-party system. Uh, first of all, even the unions now think we need a third party. They're already talking about it. The unions are talking about it. The unions, meaning the teacher union, the postal union, right. AFL-CIO. They're talking about we can't do this anymore. Voting for the lesser of two evils has been screwing us for the last 40 years. If we would have if Hillary would have gotten in, she wouldn't have done anything for unions. And that's why half the country doesn't vote. And that's the thing that people don't understand. It's like they can't think past one goddamn election cycle. They right. still do that thing. Well, well, Hillary would have been better than Trump. Right. Yeah, but you guys have to think past one election cycle. And they refuse to do that. And that was the problem is that Hillary would have been better than Trump was their slogan. Hillary yeah. will be better than Trump. And yeah. that doesn't get people out no. to vote. Well, because Hillary already, uh, you know, uh, she already did NAFTA. She already did the Iraq war. She already did Libya. She already pushed the TPP. She already deregulated banks. She already did. She already, people knew who she was. Right. She was horrible and they right. didn't want her. Or they didn't or they kind of knew who she was and they just thought of her as a legacy or they thought of her as a part of a dynasty or they thought of her as I don't understand what she's saying because she wouldn't ever say anything. No one knew what she was talking about. Like, and that's she that's, said, "I'm a progressive who gets things yeah. done. I plead guilty. I'm a moderate." Okay, right. so so yeah. you're just you, you're just a liar. Yeah, yeah. Which one is it? <laughs> that's what we know. Right. What you are, you're a liar. I love the also like, come on, Bernie and, and Clinton are basically the same person. That's what Bill Maher said. You don't really? believe Bill Maher, well, then, the great Bill yeah. Maher? Yeah, I know. Seriously, but also like, if they're basically the same person, then why is it better to go with her? What what makes her the pragmatist? Like you could there's a logic to saying they're the same. So go for the woman, which I'd agree with. Right. If they were the same. Go for the woman. We should. They were not the same. But what doesn't make sense is go. They're the same. And one of them's the pragmatist. Then they're not the same. Then they're not the same. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm so, again, I, I just it just boggles my mind. And go ahead. I, you know what? I think that everyone's talking about how much the, the Russia vote 
uh, the Russia meddling, uh, meddling. influenced our the election, which is because let's be honest, it's, meddling it's, means anything. I know it's literally it's like someone pushed me while I was in the voting line. And I got I meddled, got meddled with. with. Yeah, but they it, put the it, meme. It they mean, put a meme up on Facebook. They meddled in our election. They memled. There's memled. a tri- trillion pieces of advertising go up on Facebook. Yeah. Two of them the, from Russian bots. I think that Share bots. Blue is just upset that that the Russian troll farms did what they tried to do, which was influence the election. Apparently, because Share Blue failed at that. Share Blue. That's Share right. Blue, David Brock's. Uh, and how about Cambridge Analytica, which brags about helping American politicians uh, swing elections? Cambridge Analytica is financially backed by Robert Mercer, an American computer scientist turned hedge fund billionaire. He also backed the alt-right news site Breitbart, which was headed by Steve Bannon, who was also on the board of Cambridge Analytica until he became Donald Trump's campaign director. Robert Mercer was a major contributor to Donald Trump's presidential campaign, which Cambridge Analytica also worked on. That's in, that was in Forbes. Right. Cambridge Analytica, which is a data mining company, which is investor owned by Mercer. Cambridge Analytica's CEO claims his company never, in fact, did any work on Brexit for any of the campaigns. Well, I'd like to think we've been pretty clear about this and consistently clear over the last uh, year or so that we had absolutely no involvement uh, in in the Leave campaign. We did not do any paid or unpaid work for Brexit. Hmm. Why did you initially say you had? Well, actually, that was really just a, an example of the, the, the carp pulling the horse. Uh, we had a, a slightly overzealous um, PR advisor who, who released a, a press statement. You also um, had a colleague uh, uh, at the launch of uh, Leave.eu's campaign. That's uh, correct, yes. And uh, But you were still saying that you weren't working for them and you didn't do any work for them. That's absolutely correct. No, we did So no what were you doing there? Well, we were exploring the possibility of working with them uh, as we were with actually other parties at that time. Right. But it's an English company, and they bragged about that they've in, intervened in 40 United States elections, exactly. and they have a 100% track record of winning. Wow. Well, we should so, hate no guys. We'll have you on the show. Cambridge Analytica is sensitive to the charge that they're using military-grade psyops on elections in Western democracies. We train militaries all over the world in, in, in PSYOPs and, and, and our military division is, is very separate from our political division. In fact, uh, so much so it's, it's a different company, it's in a different building, it has a firewall between it, it's governed by a different board, it has its own security clearances. Um, so the, the, the only commonality between the two might be um, some key personnel and, and possibly some shareholders. Cambridge Analytica went on to work for the Trump campaign. At the time, they appeared to suggest that they were using psychographics, but they later clarified that they hadn't. Rachel Maddow was like crying about how moved she was that things were finally, people finally care about this stuff. Finally, finally, for the first time since we realized all this was happening, finally, it feels like somebody is defending us and going after them and taking seriously what they did and showing, not incidentally, showing what this adversary is designed for and capable of and still working on for our election this year. Finally, somebody is defending us and taking it seriously and doing something about it. 
She's like, I can't stop talking about this on my show. After covering this story so closely for this whole freaking year now. I, I watch her like I used to watch Phyllis Schlafly on talk shows now. She's like Sean. She's like the Sean Hannity. She is the on, Sean on Hannity MSNBC. of the left. Yeah. She is no doubt about it. And she said, although she's smarter, which is, makes it much more disappointing. Which is, makes it worse. Yeah, Sean exactly, Hannity yeah. never went to college. Yeah, he's an idiot. She's a Rhodes Scholar. She's a Rhodes Scholar, yeah. so she knows better. So she does this thing about the Russia stuff, and, you know, finally someone, it's like someone cares. Like, she's being validated. It's like, you know we do this stuff all, all the, the time. time. Like, you should be, if you're moved to tears about this, then you should be crying every show. Right. Because there's some government, there's some, like, coup, there's some thing that's happening because of the United States intervening. So just be somewhat equal opportunity. Yeah, this is really, like, all these divisions, you know, I feel like between being a nationalist and an internationalist, a real leftist versus just a kind of lukewarm lib. It just, you. I feel like the the... The Overton window has shifted, like things have moved so that being a liberal eight years ago is no longer acceptable because the possibility is so much greater. There's so much more to be done on the on the left. So much has opened up because of Bernie, you think? Yeah, or, mm-hmm. because of Bernie. And it's not just him. I think he takes a spark. Right? right. That's the other thing that sometimes annoys me. People are like, it's not about Bernie. It's a movement. Yeah, of course. But you want to reinvent the wheel. History moves through leaders like right. we could try to work on society so that doesn't happen in the meantime what are we going to do be like sitting in a uh, drum circle like taking consensus in the meantime a right winger like trump is just appealing to the fact that people like leaders i'm kind of bored of with that argument it's like bernie shaming like i know he's flawed he also happens to be very charismatic and it's also very out of touch and kind of like like um elitist also it's very intellectual and academic to say to be like we need it's about mo- they're trying to oh, be to say anti- it's about a movement and not yeah, about and they're trying anything, to be any reason to get rid of but, yeah. so Howard Dean is now going on saying hey I like Bernie I like I, I, we need a young progressive no no and then he goes Joe Kennedy that's not a progressive wait a second Joe Kennedy okay I was on um uh, SE Cup because again you when, did SE Cup yeah. show on CNN yeah oh you should tell me I would have watched I'll send you the clip okay because how'd what you happens do? Is, how'd it go. It was pretty good. I had a, a rough moment at the beginning because I was I felt like it was a weird experience. But then once we started talking about Joe Kennedy. First, guys, let's talk about Joe Kennedy. She was like, Katie, was he the right person to make this speech? Katie, was he the right person to give this response? Putting putting aside the substance of what he said. I was State like, of the Union. No. No, I would have to Why go not, on, Katie? on a limb and say no. <laughs> he represents a lot of the things that people find alienating and unappealing about the Democrats. He's a part of a political dynasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, this is totally superficial, but I mean... The schmutz on, the, excuse me, the thing on his mouth. It I don't know what that was. I could right? not get by the creepy and troll. Al- and yeah, and also, it was chapstick. Like, Ugh, that's you know, a lot of chapstick. The Kennedys, they're, you know, they have a, they have a nice, nice faces often. So I, I think that's the least that we could ask from him. Well, but he's also anti-single. He's like, he's so centrist. He's for the war on drugs. He's anti-single payer. He's so status quo. And he just seems like such a political insider. And what did 2016 teach us if not that people want change? Yeah, no, I agree. He's literally the opposite of what the takeaway from 2016 should have been. <laughs> he's the, right? Everything checks every wrong box. Yeah, he's, like, he's a trust yeah, fund baby. Exactly. He's literally a trust and fund baby. And he doesn't even have, I thought at least least they would they would like choose someone who wasn't a straight white man because that's so important to them red hair no, no, on red top hair, of it couldn't be well, he's whiter a ginger though in all fairness that makes him a minority oh that's he's right. a he's a person of of hair color oh that's right he's P-O-H-T. a persecuted kennedy yeah ginger. he's a persecuted kennedy ginger yeah so uh, but, yeah but yeah it's just like he's he's the bobby jindal of the kennedy family by the way he's he so is, not right? liberal he's so he's so he's just not yeah and this stuff on like single pair and uh 
I, I he, he he promises a healthcare system that shows mercy. How about just single pair? No mercy involved. Right. Don't just need just any, justice. I don't How need your justice? good feelings. Yeah, exactly. I don't need your pity. It's, yeah. It's, I don't need your empathy. You know what I need? Fucking single pair. Yeah. Justice versus empathy, uh, justice versus charity. That is a big difference between liberal and left. And I'm using liberal as the stuff we don't like and left as the stuff that we like and are. And it's the sense of justice versus charity. Oh, wait, you don't. I have to be careful about the way I say this because not everyone gets the nom- the, that the terminology. That there's a difference between a liberal right. and a but progressive. But I hate libs. Like my friend and I were always texting each other like effing libs, fucking libs. Like Hillary whatever. Clinton supporters are liberals. Yeah. They're, they're libs. They're yeah. libs, and they, uh, as as uh, Phil Oak said, uh, they're ten yeah. percent to the left in the best of times, and they're ten percent to the right of center when it affects them personally. Mm, yeah. In every American community, you have varying shades of political opinion. One of the shadiest of these is the liberals. An outspoken group on many subjects. <clears throat> 10 degrees to the left of center in good times, 10 degrees to the right of center if it affects them personally. So here then is a lesson in safe logic. I cried when they shot Medgar Evers, tears ran down my spine. And I cried when they shot Mr. Kennedy, Though I'd lost a father of mine But Malcolm X got what was coming He got what he asked for this time So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Get it? I go to civil rights rally And I put down the old D.A.R. D.A.R., that's the dykes of the American Revolution <laughs> I love Harry and Sidney and Sammy I hope every colored boy becomes a star But don't talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal I cheered when Humphrey was chosen My faith in the system restored And I'm glad that the commies were thrown out From the AFL-CIO bar And I love Puerto Ricans and Negroes As long as they don't move next door So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Ah, the people of old Mississippi Should all hang their heads in shame Now I can't understand how their minds work What's the matter, don't they watch Les Crane? But if you ask me to bust my children I hope the cops take down your name So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Yes, I read New Republic and Nation I've learned to take every view You know, I've memorized Lerner and Golden I feel like I'm almost a Jew But when it comes to times like Korea 
There's no one more red, white, and blue So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal I vote for the Democratic Party They want the UN to be strong I attend all the Pete Seeger concerts He sure gets me singing those songs And I'll send all the money you ask for But don't ask me to come on along So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Sure, once I was young and impulsive I wore every conceivable pin Even went to socialist meetings Learned all the old union hymns Ah, but I've grown older and wiser And that's why I'm turning you in So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal There is um. There's also a term. It's com- somewhat comparable. It's called PEP, Progressive Except on Palestine, and ah. you see that with some some progressive Jews um, who are you know great on every other national liberation struggle. Great Don't on every other show. Don't you find that show. funny? Like there, there's guys who like consider themselves doing lefty news shows like this or like mine or like here, and and they're they're like anti-Palestine. Isn't yeah, that it amazing? Makes sense. It's like so you're not to me. It's like if you're pushing Russia Gate. And you're uh, against Palestine. You, you might think you're progressive, right. but you are not. You are a right winger. We should do a. Uh, you might be a neo lib if we should do yeah. like instead of. You might be a redneck if you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth. You might be a redneck if your son's name is Dale Jr. and your name's not Dale. <laughs> You know you're a neo-lib if. So you're a neoliberal. You are not a lefty. Yeah. You're not progressive. There's no way in hell that you can be against uh, Palestine and consider yourself a progressive. There's no way in hell you can push Russia Gate and consider yourself a progressive. You, you might consider yourself that, but you're, right, you're not. Right, you're not based in reality. It's like literally you couldn't push McCarthyism in the 50s and say you're a goddamn progressive. Right. You're doing the same thing now. You're not progressive. You. The best I can say is that you're a useful idiot. Mm-hmm. No, that's what they say we are, right? We're all Putinist bots. Right, 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 right. The irony is that this is another weird parallel with Israel stuff. Like, with let's say that we're not, you and I are not proud Dems. We're not like blue, blue, blue before all else, like these ridiculous things that people right. have when they identify as Dems. But the irony is that, like, the stuff that people like you and me think are that position, like moving, getting more independence to join the party or having more open primaries or just having someone like Sanders, all of that is good for the Democratic Party. Yes. We just don't care about labels per se, but it is better. The people who are obsessed with being Democrats, they have this like baggage, so they can't even see it clearly. So their positions are actually not good for the Democratic Party. So I'm like, hey, you're, it's your party. Do whatever you want to do. Just know that you're going to be screwing your party and, and the rest of the world and the, the country and the rest of the world because of how the U.S. acts. Uh, operates so it's kind of similar with israel i'm jewish i don't want them using my name and my ethnicity and my people to justify abusing palestinians i'm not rah rah go team israel at all but 
People who are more dovish and less hawkish on Israel are much better for Israel's existence than the people who are like, go team, go Israel, rah, rah, do whatever you want, because they're just signing Israel's death sentence, either death sentence or real apartheid, which I guess they prefer to Israel not existing anymore. But they're the ones who are making the two-state solution not possible because they're cutting up the well, country. Well, they don't want... It's obvious they right. don't... It's obvious that, that Netanyahu does not want oh, that. Oh, yeah, he's aw- yeah, he's awful. He's so bad. There's a guy named Tony Jutt who died, who was a historian, who, who thought that Netanyahu's election would be good because Jews who were peps, progressives except on Palestine, those types, he didn't use that word, but he was saying people who are progressive but not as good on, on Israel, they'd be too embarrassed to, to go that, along with Netanyahu. That he's such a right winger, yeah, that they could know, but he was wrong. He's yeah. very wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't claim to know, to be knowledgeable about all the intricacies of the Palestinian situation, but as a progressive, when I assess a situation, I'm always sensitive to who has the power in that situation, and whoever has the power in that situation, the onus of being moral. Yeah. Now you have the power, so now you have to act morally. Israel has all the right. power, even though they say, oh, look, the Palestinians are lobbing missiles against your Iron Dome. Yeah. And so, the, uh, and then when you go and you bomb uh, open-air prison, that's a war crime. Yeah. So that's an atrocity, and you should be held accountable for that. They never will. And they also point to themselves, and we point, we, the United States, point to them as a beacon of democracy. That's the other thing. Right. You can't say you're the uh, beacon on a hill of— It's, uh, an apartheid, it's apartheid's goddamn state. Yeah. John Kerry said that. I know. That's, you know, Hillary herself called it an, an uh, occupation in a, her book. Really? And then during the, De- the Dem Platform Committee meetings, one of the things they fought about was uh, whether to call an occupation. They wouldn't. They refused to do it. Ah. So, yeah. So she has a public position and another public position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I don't know. It's just it's 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 both exciting and depressing because what's exciting is that, like, I used to be kind of an annoying, more of a I was always leftist, but I was in the liberal world and I did have that contempt. um, I'm really embarrassed by it. Kind of contempt and disdain for people who weren't already woke. Like if you oh you're not for same sex marriage then forget it you're a bigot it's like first of all that doesn't help like the the way you pass same sex marriage is you reach out and you talk to people and we know that that's how they did it in Maryland right they the was basically the black church black church goers who were spoke were convinced now to be fair they're not like rabid right wing evangelicals but they didn't embrace same sex marriage they didn't oppose it with the same fervor that right wing evangelicals do but you have to reach out to people and speak to them. And I feel like libs hate leftists and hate undereducated, like not yet woke people more than they hate kind of socially um, liberal right wingers like people like Wall Street types who are who are uh, don't care about poor people. They're kind of OK with them. Like if you believe in same sex marriage, but you want poor people to die on the streets. Well, that's neoliberalism. Yeah, you may be a neoliberal. That's what that's right. a neoliberal. That's yeah. the, that's neo it's all this identity politics and uh, I'm for this and that, right. but I'm not for economic policies that support you. Right. I'm for, you know, lip service that supports you. I'm for you having access to things. Oh, access, right. I'm the, for you having the stuff, same right? amount of rights, but I'm not about you having actual equality. Right. Or f- right. Right, right, right. You don't want any exactly. You they want don't talk access. about the class issue. Right. So that's what they leave out of all that, right. and that's the most important thing. You know what makes what? I mean, this is yes. Oh, ev- yeah. Everybody has said this, right? So what makes 
a, a country or a people ripe for a right wing demagogue, right? Yes. Is when nothing's working in their country, when the government has let them down. So when you have two parties are pro management and none of, nobody's re- representing the workers, then a right wing demagogue comes along who says, here's the problem. The problem's Mexicans. Yeah, I'm going to build a wall yeah. and fix it. You're going to get your coal jobs back. I'm going to do better deals. These TPP sucks. We're right. going to repeal it. It says everything. It was like, oh, I'll, I'll yeah. vote for that. So that's what make but if the democrats have been doing their freaking job if barack obama would have put on a soft shoe if he, and he went and marched with those teachers right. in wisconsin if he would have stood up with wall street uh the occupy wall street and actually regulated the banks and made them smaller instead of making them bigger if he would have actually taken those two wars ended them and got us out of the goddamn middle so this if he would have actually passed free college for people so right. this is what makes people ripe for a guy yeah. like donald trump because their lives are miserable People are treading water. GoFundMe, the biggest thing on GoFundMe is medical. Healthcare, yeah. It's unbelievable. It's terrible, and that's the country we live in. We go, I don't understand how Trump got president. What are you, a fucking moron? Yeah. No, you're a neoliberal and you're paid to ignore the causes of Trump. And, and that's attached. why you have no attachment. You've no you don't have any access. Talk about access, right? You're totally cut off. You have no idea what most people experience no. or live. And you don't you don't really care. That's the other thing. I they mean, don't I, care. I think you think that, Jennifer yeah. Palmieri cares? No. No, she Jennifer Palmieri was Hillary Clinton's communications director. Uh, she was interviewed the day after the Women's March, the first one where there was some billion people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she said, don't take that. Don't be mistaken. That doesn't mean they're for $15 yeah. minimum wage. You are wrong to look at these crowds and think that means everyone wants $15 an hour. I don't, don't assume this is like, a policy don't assume push. That that's, it's a pol- that don't assume that the answer to big crowds right. is moving policy to the left. I think the answer to the big crowds is engaging as much as you can to be as supportive as you can and understanding like, I mean, what these people want. They are desperate. It's all about identity on our side now. Mm. They want to show he does not support me. I support you, refugee. I support you, immigrant in my neighborhood. Mm. I want to. I want to defend you. Just about not shopping Holy. at Nordstroms. That's the resistance for her. Women who are who are rejecting who are rejecting Nordstroms and Neiman Marcus are saying they're saying this is power for them. Donald Trump doesn't take me seriously. Okay. Well, like I'm showing you my value and my power. And I think it's like our own version of identity politics on the on the left that's more empowering. And I think that's where that's a safer place to be. All right. We shall see. I'm Jennifer Palmieri. And it's an amazing this is this is a study. They will write books about this. Yeah. About how propaganda works. You know what else I find so infuriating is the idea that, look, Sanders, what makes someone like Sanders so great is that, oh, Jimmy's getting a, uh, can you grab me one, two, please? He's getting a uh, Pellegrino or something, Perrier, as as Jimmy and I pretend to be salt of the earth in touch with the workers. Just kidding. But we're drinking a Perrier. You got to stay hydrated for the revolution because we're getting so worked up. So Jimmy just grabs him. Let's pretend it's seltzer. Jimmy grabs some seltzer. I grab a seltzer. A seltzer, yeah. But, you know, what's cool is that it makes someone an effective politician and organizer when they can appeal to people across across um, party lines. I don't know if you notice this. People who hate Sanders point out like, oh, he 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 opposes the TPP. So does Donald Trump. They're the same. Ah! It's like, you know, who else opposes the TPP. Every organization you you support, like now National Organization of Women, uh, Sierra Club, Doctors Without Borders. You think they're Trumpists also? And. 
this idea that you can't w- reach out to people who aren't already with you, that's just n- not how you win elections. Well, there are people who I think we should be trying to work with who can be transformed. You know what's really interesting is that guy who's working with Reverend, I want to have Barber, William Barber. Have uh-huh. you seen uh, this guy, a white guy who worked for Trent Lott? Strom Thurmond, Trent Lott, both of them, he worked for one of those segregationists. I want to ask you, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, about your life story. Mm-hmm. I mean, for young people, they may not have even heard of Strom Thurmond, mm-hmm. one of the longest-serving senators in U.S. history, also ran for president on a yeah. segregationist platform. What was your involvement with him? Well, that was 1948, and I uh, was born in 1980, so I, I wasn't you know, very aware of that either growing up. And he's white, and he's a Christian guy. I grew up in a Southern Baptist culture that told us, you know, if you're faithful, you're Republican. And I wanted to do all that I could for Jesus. So I was trying to make it to the White House, and, and Jesse Helms referred me to Strom Thurmond, and that's how I ended up in his office. But when I got there, I began to realize that something wasn't quite right in terms of these values that I was taught of, of love and justice and concern for the community and what was happening there, which was really about holding on to power. And, uh, um, and, and I began to realize, you know, what Reverend Barber was saying, that my people in North Carolina and in the South had really been duped. That we, uh, th- that we were told that this was good for us and good for America and good for the world. And as a matter of fact, uh, they, that they were using religion to uh, serve this white supremacist agenda that really wasn't very different from what he had advocated in 48 or in the 50s and the 60s, uh, but had changed its language a bit. And so I was very grateful for Reverend Barber teaching me that freedom movement history, beginning to realize that there, there really has been a movement that has pushed for uh, an, an inclusive democracy in this country uh, since the 19th century, and that that effort to reconstruct this country uh, is also very faith-rooted, and we connected because of our faith uh, and began to realize that, that there were some faith leaders who were using that faith uh, to serve the agenda of this really white supremacy. And he, like, had an awakening. Did you understand this when you were a page for Senator Thurmond? No, I was very confused. That's why I needed a teacher like like Dr. Barber here. So he and William Barber go around and are doing this poor people's campaign. Mm-hmm. And those stories are really interesting, I think, of how people are are converted, like politically converted. And I think people just really resent that. But that's how the labor—that's how you organize. Again, it's so weird. It's just like— who do you? Th- there's this this guy you should have on your show called Arish Singh. He's a comedian. He's Sikh, so he, and he wears a turban. So he walks down the street and he's seen as like a threat by by racists, right? Mm-hmm. He's tar- easy to target. And he said that he doesn't like it. You know, when when some white lib says like, you know, it's not uh, says something like you know, white coal miners are racist. He's like, that doesn't help me. When when white liberals <laughs> turn their backs on these people, who do you think pays the price for that? Right. It's not the the I mean, it is the 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 white racist coal miner who pays the price to some extent, but it's also Irish, someone like that. So all these white allies, if they actually want to help defeat racism, part of that is doing the work and talking to people who don't already agree with us and saying, hey, you know what? You know, they want you to blame Trump wants you to blame Muslims and Mexicans. They're not actually the ones who to be who you should be angry at. But that is like we're not allowed to do that because actually organizing or talking to people who aren't already with us is not okay. Um, this is why I don't call myself a liberal. I know Mother Jones is just a and garbage the rag. Well, what about right yeah? Now. The- I saw that jag off from uh, Mother Jones. 
Oh, Shane Barrow, yeah. Yeah, that guy yeah, is, what a CIA tool yeah, that guy is. If you if you want any more proof that the CIA still infiltrates lefty organizations, look at Clara Jeffrey and that, oh what's his God. name, Shane what? Shane Bauer. What a fucking yeah, he, tool You know what he said about Rania? Blatant you know, tool, that guy. A bla- like, it does, I, I, one eye closed drunk, I can see who that guy is. It doesn't, like, I don't have to lay out some sophisticated argument. All you have to do is look at one of his fucking tweets for yeah. F's sake. And he he also he told that's how fat Mother Jones is just a garbage rat. What about yeah the one like what did uh, Kevin Drum yeah Kevin uh, Drum about like homeless people? I don't know what did he say. I missed that one. I'll find it for you. Um, Yeah, Clara Jeffries. um, These these people are dregs. These people are opposite of progressives. I know. Clara Jeffries. Are people disgusted by the homeless? Was his was his hot take from July? What? Yeah. Are people disgusted by the homeless? By Kevin Drum. Um, what? Yeah. Are people disgusted by people with no money and no power? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? He Listen to this. Ready? He, he cites an article. Uh, he goes, a pair, a pair of researchers conducted a survey on homelessness and claimed to have been surprised at the results. Quote, and then he quotes the article. We uncovered a strange pattern. On one hand, majority support both aid, 60%, and subsidized housing, 65%, with only a small percentage opposing these policies. On the other, a majority supports banning panhandling and a plurality supports banning sleeping in public, while only about a quarter Where of the public... Where the fuck are you supposed to sleep if you're opposes homeless? these policies. You're supposed to stand up? So so this is what Kevin Drum writes in response to this. This does not seem strange to me at all. Most people don't like being accosted by panhandlers and don't like their park benches being taken over by potentially dangerous vagrants. What? Yeah. So, yes, let's demonize the right. poorest people, the people who are the most marginal lies in our society. So that... But... It, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, he also is he like blames Bernie for everything. He's he's really bad. Like the, do you need any fucking more Do you really not think that the Come on. Yeah, he's a uh, he hates yeah, he hates uh, Sanders so much. Yeah, there's a good response to this in in these times. I was actually reprinted with permission from Knock LA. There's nothing okay about Kevin Drum's disgust for the homeless. The Mother Jones column is a case study in how liberals insulate themselves from the psychological and material effects of injustice. Hey, well said. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, he's a. Uh, it's pretty scary how they they like the libs are now more open though about their despicable views. They're, dis- they're disdain for yeah. the uh, for the poor. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, no, those are those there's and that's that's just it's I, I don't even know what kind of world we're living in you know you turn on msnbc they're, oh my god they now are the I, mirror I'd image rather, of fox news I'd, except they're more boring than fox news oh way more fox boring. news had this thing i mean i hate fox news obviously but they had this debate between like and it's all it's fake because it's all shifted totally right into the fascist state but they had a debate between gorka who's so scary and seems like an actor impersonating himself but he's real gorka and um, uh, Ronald, uh, Geraldo Rivera, and they were talking about whether or not teachers should be armed. Oh boy! And Rivera was like, "No, they shouldn't be." And Gork was like, "Yes, they should be." But oh, on on MSNBC, even Geraldo just, Rivera gets it right. I know. That's even what I'm Geraldo saying. Rivera gets that right. But you know what? All they talk about on MSNBC, of course, they couldn't afford to talk about that because there been more important things to talk about, like Russia. Russia. Yeah. So let me just tell you about, let yeah. me just talk about the t- arming teachers. So yeah. here's what's going to happen when they arm teachers. Yeah. Teachers are going to shoot students. That is going to happen. There is no doubt. Have you ever been in school and a teacher freaked out? 
Yeah, yeah, we all know those unstable yeah. teachers. By the way, yesterday I reported it on this show. NBC News reported it. There was a teacher freaked out at school, barricaded himself in the in his room with a gun. With a gun. Freaking out in a school with a gun. Could there be anything better? The principal has a key to the door, tries to get in, he shoots. Yeah, we need these people armed. He shoots. They say he wasn't shooting at anybody. I don't know how you can ascertain that from the other side of sure. a door. So, uh, well, it's funny because when Marissa Alexander shot at a door to keep away her abusive husband, do you know the case I'm talking about? Anyway, she was sentenced to jail time. She was anyway, yeah. 20 years. So, I, uh, what else is going to happen is that black kids will be shot. Of course. Yeah. Black kids will be shot. Especially in stand your ground states. That black kids will be shot, and the teacher will say, I feared for my yeah. life. And they will say he was going for the gun. They will say all well, that Well, that's stuff. a bonus for these people who want teachers to be yes. armed, that black they, kids will be shot. Can you imagine going to school, knowing your teacher's dis, dis, is fucking, like, um, untethered, right, yeah. and is uh, is in crisis, and then you know they have a gun on them? And now go learn. Go yeah. learn. That's a that's a, that's a a calming environment. No, right? No stress or tension. Yeah. No, it's it's And you know what else is going to happen is kids are going to get a hold of those fucking guns. Right. Kids are going to get a hold of those guns. There is no fucking doubt in my mind. Right. My dad was a cop. He oh, kept yeah. his gun locked up. We got it. Really? Yes. I want to hear actually I want to ask yes. you about this. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I love these ideas that like, oh, if only they'd been people had been armed during that movie theater. Yeah, a shootout in a movie theater. A movie they theater. definitely would have been able to isolate the bad guy and shoot just him. So and when not you shoot see ten guys shooting, people. you don't know which is the guy shooting. Now everybody starts shooting yeah, each great. other. At least, the, yeah, it's in a dark movie theater. Yeah, everybody I can't believe shooting. it. And they really wanted that. They what used that wrong? example. What was that in Arizona? That was in Colorado. In Colorado, and they used that as an example. Yet another example of why we need to. There was, right a, to there was a lot of good guys with guns at that Florida school. Turns out none of them went in. Yeah, what was that? That's a the cops didn't go. The only in. time in Israel, I see, the only time you hear Israel criticized on Fox News or any media, but I'm bumping the guy's last name is Israel, oh. the sheriff. Sorry, oh, okay. I couldn't, I didn't I couldn't know that. resist. So yeah, the the school safety officer had a gun. He didn't go in. There was three other sheriffs that reported stood stood by their cars and did not go in. And they then were just it afraid the, of the the of local the... police went right in when they got there. The Coral Springs Police, I think, was it called? They went right in. So what's it like having a cop as a dad? Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I think all uh, you know, uh, my dad was he wasn't a gung ho cop, right? So there's there's a couple different kinds of cops. There's the bullies. There's cops who were bullies and they can't wait to be cops. And then there was the people who were bullied as kids and they can't wait to become cops too, right? So it's right. all this I want power. But my then there's that third kind that uh, that that's the best job they could get with their level of education okay. and they need insurance. So that was my dad. My dad didn't go to college and he needed he had all these kids. He was Catholic. So here he was like 22 year old with like six kids already. Really? That he man? started banging when he was 18 years old, right? So he's he's got all these kids and he's married and he's got to support him. So he takes the job. He was driving a pretzel truck and then he got a job uh, as a cop, because my grandpa was a cop too. My grandpa which, was a which cop. Which genre was he? My grandpa. Like, yeah, you know, you were saying there are three different. You know, people I think my grandpa was the bully kind. Okay. And uh, and my and my my dad. Uh, I don't know if I would say he was a he wasn't a bully to other people. He was just a bully to his kids. Right. That's nice. Could have uh, been worse. Could have been worse. Um, he was. I would. I always wanted to be the kid next door. He was nice to the. Oh, he couldn't. He saw all the good qualities in everyone else, and he only saw the negative qualities in his kids. That's my dad. Mm. 
And that's just projection, right? Because you're right. like, well, this kid came from me, and I freaking think I'm a piece of shit. Right, so he must yeah. also be a piece of shit. And that's my dad's thinking, and he never broke out of it, and he's still alive. Oh, he is? Yeah. So you could you could have like a, a session together or something? No. No. My dad, are you fucking kidding me? Do you guys keep my in touch? My dad doesn't read touch? books. There isn't a book in my dad's house. Are you in touch? Well, I grew up I grew up in my parents' house. We we had a bar in our basement. We did not have a bookshelf in our entire house. And I remember I when I realized this, I started doing these uh, you, you met your first Jewish friend and you realized yes. I started writing uh, long uh, three pages longhand every day stream of consciousness and I realized I didn't have a fucking bookshelf in my house growing up and I called my mom and I go mom we didn't have a bookshelf oh you mean you recently did this what the artist way is yeah that what so it this is? is like maybe 15-20 years ago okay. I started doing the artist way which which one of the things they have you do is something called morning pages morning you just write stream yeah, of which is really it's good. like a meditation it yeah, kind of clears good. your mind anyway and I realized doing that that I, and I called my mom and I said mom we didn't you know we didn't have a bookshelf in our house she goes of course we did I go where where was the bookshelf with the book? She goes, we had a bookshelf in the closet in the basement. And that's where we kept the popular magazine, popular science magazines. That's a quote. That's a quote from my mom. And she didn't realize how funny that was. They don't realize it. Right. So my parents didn't read books. And, uh, you know. Um, how many of, the, of, the, of you were there? Kids? Twelve. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of kids. People say you learn a lot about life growing up in a big family. And I said, I guess the biggest thing I learned is I'm easily replaced. Like, I knew if I died, it wasn't going to put a big dent in their plans, Katie. I can't imagine my mom sitting around. Oh, no, Jimmy's dead. What am I going to do now with just the 11 of you? Right. Oh, how do you fill the empty one-twelfth of your heart? <laughs> Did you feel like, uh, well, so wait, how old was your mom when she had her first and last kid? I don't even know. Uh, I don't have my dad. It's a long story. Okay. My dad got married, had four kids. His wife died. Then he married my mom. Okay, so she only six had... months later after his wife died. Married my mom six months later. My mom walked into a house with four kids, and then she had, and then she had um, eight, seven, eight kids. One died oh. uh, right after birth. Her first kid died after birth, and then she had seven more kids. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, six more kids. And then she adopted two after I after I was in school. So I go to school. We got ten kids in Guess our family. Guess you were replaceable. Yeah, in a different way. Very replaceable. So I go to school, and my mom doesn't know what to do with herself all day because all her kids are in school now all day, and she doesn't know what to do with herself. And so she goes to Catholic charities, and she says, "I want a baby. Can I have a baby?" Because they they do foster kids, right? And they go, we don't have a baby, but we have a third grader. I was in second grade. They go, we have the third grader. So we, I got Eddie Martinez. This Puerto Rican guy came home, and he was tough as fucking nails and built like a brick shit house. And that's why I'm like, that's what I need, Mom. Another fucking guy who can beat my ass in the house. Everybody can beat my ass in this house. You go get another guy to beat my ass in this house? Fucking God damn it. And she did that to, she goes, I did that to get in good with the Catholic charity, so maybe they'll give me a baby. And I got to tell you, it fucking worked. She got a baby. Wow. She got a baby that was six weeks old. And that was my little sister, D. And I was really glad to have a little sister. I certainly didn't need another older fucking brother. So you were how old when she got the foster kid? I was in uh, maybe third grade. And the foster grade, kid was in? Fourth grade, maybe. The fo she was six, six, six weeks old. So, okay. So, so my older brother was a year. I was in second grade when we got him. Yeah. He was in third. Okay. And then uh, we got the baby maybe when I was in fourth. So two years later, maybe. And how long did he stay with you guys? Forever. They never left. Your older brother never yeah, left. Yeah, my older brother never left. Eddie, no. I mean, I met his family. He, he had, his, his parents were alive and everything. Wow. I, I, I don't, but they were poor or whatever, but they yeah. weren't that poor. I mean, I would go to visit his sister. I mean, they were just regular poor. It wasn't like. 
His dad even had owned a car, right? It was kind of a nice car. He just wanted to do like a cultural exchange. But I don't know what was happening. So I don't really know what, I don't know why, what led, what. Maybe your mom just paid him. She was like, uh, pretend that you need adoption. They'll look maybe. upon me. I don't know how he got into the system of foster, but he got into it and he ended up at our house. So what were you in the lineup of kids? Where were you? I mean, I'm the youngest boy. So out of seven boys, I'm the youngest. And there's five girls, and I have, and they're all older than me except my one little sister who we got when she was six weeks old. Was adopted. Yeah. D. D. Her so, name is Dolores. We call her Dee Dee. Are you guys close? We were close up until just a few years ago. Then my family fell apart. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, uh, we're adult children of alcoholics, my parents. And uh, my dad had, you know, they have rage issues and shit. And so uh, they never worked that out. My dad was, I do a joke about it. I said, my dad, uh, was what they call a dry drunk, right? So he didn't drink at all because my grandpa was an alcoholic. And so my dad's thing was he wasn't going to drink at all, but he didn't go to meetings. You know, he didn't go to like AA. He didn't get fixed. He just stopped drinking, which the, they, what they call that is a dry drunk. So he, so the joke part, as I say. So but that's true. That's a real thing. That's a, dry a real drunk? thing. Okay. They, yeah. That's a thing they call the dry drunk. Uh, because what he still, he still had all the anger the rage, and rage yeah. of an alcoholic, but we never got to enjoy any of the fun drunk times. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So my dad had two emotions, angry and not angry yet. Oh, nice. Those are my dad's That's two emotions. Right. My dad was not a fun-loving, happy guy. I'm convinced that a lot of alcoholics, they have this thing, I think, the more term. To hear our entire interview with Jimmy Dore, go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. You can find Jimmy Dore's show on YouTube, Patreon. You can find him on Twitter at Jimmy Door. Jimmy underscore Door. Oh, sorry. Jimmy underscore. Jimmy under. I have a blue check. So the other Jimmy Door, you know, he's not right. You and I both got blue checks. They, they don't recently. give out blue checks anymore, I heard. Oh, really? We got yeah. in right in Somebody time. told me that. Yeah. And um, so we will see you next week. Make sure you go to Patreon for the rest of this episode. Thanks. Bye.